Well, today we are looking at the parable of the sower. Actually, it's found in Matthew 13, uh, Mark chapter 4, and Luke 8. So if you want to compare those, you're welcome to do that. It's found in a few of the Gospels. But today, I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 13. You can find it in your notes or it'll be on the screen. But then I would like to read to you Jesus' own interpretation of this particular parable. Sound good? Let's just start at verse 1, chapter 13. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while the people stood on the shore. It's just an amazing picture to think there was such a crowd that was drawn to the teaching of Jesus because Scripture says he taught like no one ever had taught that he had to get into a boat and float out so that, so that there would be room for people to hear him teaching. And look what it says. It says, while the people stood on the shore, he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his, what? Seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, thirty times what was sown. Let's read this together, verse 9. He who has ears, let him The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, that's interesting. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. Let's read verse 16 as we skip ahead. It says, blessed are your eyes because they, and your ears because they. Now, later on, the disciples come to Jesus and Jesus interprets his own parable. He didn't do that for all the parables, but he does do that here. Verse 18, listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell in rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no what? Root. He lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word, understands it, and he produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what it was sown. Now, one of the things that you notice when you study the life of Jesus or you begin to read his teaching is that Jesus didn't simply bring the forgiveness of sins. Now, in other words, when he came, Jesus didn't simply come and say, well, that's good. If you receive me, I'll just forgive your sins. Now, if that's all that Jesus ever offered, that would be tremendous anyway. That would be amazing because that would be the end of guilt. It would be the end of self 
recrimination, but as awesome as that is, he says forgiveness is really just the beginning. Jesus says, in fact, here in this parable and many, many other places in the Gospels, he says, I actually came to bring the kingdom of God. Everybody say kingdom of God. He says forgiveness is just the foundation. It's just the start. But the kingdom of God, he talks about in multiple places and multiple ways, the kingdom of God is nothing less than the power of God in heaven entering the world to heal every alienation, to heal every brokenness, to heal every dimension of human life, whether it is social or economical or racial or emotional or physical or psychological, of course, or spiritual. What am I saying? When you enter the kingdom of God, kingdom power comes into your life. That's what I'm saying. That's why he says, notice here in verse 18, when anyone hears the message about the what? Or he says in verse 11, he replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the what? kingdom of heaven has been given to you as followers. Now, it means this. It means though it's not completely here yet, when God's kingdom power comes into your life and my life, you do begin to experience life change. That's what we're all looking for. And even though it's not until the last day when he will wipe away every tear, and wipe away all brokenness and all alienation. Yet what we're shown here, listen, is the comprehensiveness of what God does in the human life. By the way, this is why he's always saying things like the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like this. Or the kingdom of heaven is like that. You see. It means that the program or the power of the Christian faith, guys, it's an assault on all sorts of brokenness. Again, listen, it is a comprehensive thing. It's meant to be comprehensive in your life, this all-powerful thing. Now, today's parable, it tells us how we enter the kingdom. That's what this is about. What does it mean to enter the kingdom? How does God's power come into your life? Or can I say it this way? How do we come into that power? And what he's saying is, here's the way. You've got to be careful how you what? Hear. It's all about how you hear or how you listen. Can I say it's the power of your ears? To hear what God says. That hearing is the key, he says. In fact, notice this. You ready? He says it multiple times. Notice this one right here. He says, whoever has ears, let them, come on. Come on, what? Hear. Or he says in this next one, verse 16, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they Now, guys, This is so exciting because do you understand how unusual this is? That the kingdom of God comes by what? Hearing. Why? Now, why is that unusual? I want you to think about this. Let's just, let's just, 
Let's just take a survey of the world and world history, shall we? Think about this. All human kingdoms, earthly kingdoms, human powers, they always come through coercion or force. You ever notice that? Think about what's going on in Afghanistan right now. By the way, we need to be praying daily for what's happening for, with the people in Afghanistan. But earthly leaders, if you think about it, are almost always, see, let me put it to you this way. Earthly leaders are good at getting a hearing. <laughs> they make people listen to them. But the kingdom of God kind of people are good at giving a hearing. Listening well. Listening deeply. Listening with your understanding. Now, again, that's not true of earthly kingdoms. Look at most leaders. Think about all the leaders of all the powerful organizations in the world. If you work under them, if you follow those leaders, they are great at getting a hearing. I mean, they are great at sound bites, aren't they? They are great at lobbying and picketing. How does power happen in the world? Well, because leaders are great at coming into a room and getting a meeting, and what do they do? They influence people to get them to do what they want them to do. But what I'm saying to you is that God's way is different. God says the way to true power for my followers is not about you getting a hearing, it's about you giving a hearing, listening. In fact, write this down. This is an important kingdom principle that's going to lay the foundation for today's talk. Write this down. In God's kingdom, power, in God's kingdom, his kingdom power comes not from getting a hearing, but by giving a hearing. See, Jesus said power comes by listening, by receiving, by paying attention. That's why he repeats so often, take heed, pay attention, watch out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I hope you're hearing today. It explains this, by the way, when he says the secret of the kingdom, he uses a metaphor. Listen, he says the secret of the kingdom, it's like a seed. In fact, what does the parable say? It says... A farmer went out to sow a what? A seed. Now, a seed, Jesus told us, is a teaching. It's a word of the kingdom. It's the Christian message. In fact, it says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom, well, what's the message about the kingdom? It's the Bible. It's information. What he's saying is, is that, listen, guys, my kingdom moves forward on the basis of hearing a truth. Whereas, human kingdoms, earthly kingdoms, always move forward on the basis of coercion or force. I want you to, any, any history buffs in here? Come on, give me a show of hands. Anybody like history? No, I'm the only one. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you anyway. I want you to think for a minute about Alexander the Great. Anybody hear of him? You're all history buffs, see? Alexander the Great. Now, when he brought his kingdom to a place... Everybody knew it was there, didn't they? They all knew it was there because there were only two kinds of people left when he got there. There were either people in his kingdom or there were people who were dead. You either died fighting or you were a part of his kingdom, and it was overwhelming. By the way, what I'm saying, you guys understand, I don't have to go to ancient history. What I'm saying right now that, that power comes through coercion or force, this is even true in American democracy. You say, why? How can you say that? Well, because democracy is a coercion 
It's a coercion of the majority. Listen, if 51% of the population votes for one person and 49% votes for another person, what happens to the 49% of the people that voted against that person? They have to submit. They have to serve. Some of you are having to do that now and you don't like it, but you understand that even a, even a democracy is a coercion of the majority. Do you hear me? Is anybody here with me? This is why, see, Jesus says, no, no, no. When anybody hears, the difference is, is that Jesus says, no, no, no. Power comes through the hearing of the word, and that's a completely different kind of thing. And so you've got to know the difference. So he refers to it as a seed again. Now, why a seed? Well, let me use a metaphor, can I? Let me ask you a question. What is the difference between a seed and a boulder? Come on, what's the difference between a seed and a boulder? What do you think? Yeah, the size. I'll tell you one of the differences is when the boulder comes in and hits the ground, it smashes the ground. But a seed comes in very quietly. A boulder transforms the ground and revolutionizes it externally. But a seed, a seed revolu revolutionizes the ground internally. The boulder comes in and does it suddenly and coercively. The seed comes in and does it organically, gradually, and gently. The boulder comes in and breaks the land, but the seed transforms the soil. The seed transforms it by reorienting and rechanneling all of its energies and nutrients and minerals into something life-giving. But do you see the difference? Human kingdoms, now I'm telling you, human kingdoms, whether it's Alexander the Great or the democratic process, they can only superficially affect you. Now guys, listen to me. Why am I spending the time to say this? Because we struggle to understand God's kingdom ways. We, we're used to the world's ways, and many of us want the kingdom of God to work like the world. I know many Christians today in America that are struggling and they're not growing they're unhappy and they're confused in the Christian faith because they don't like what's going on in America. And they think that the kingdom of God ought to operate the way the kingdoms of the earth do. Some Christians, and this is a compliment, are so confused and discouraged because the world isn't going the way they think it should and they're wondering, God, where are you? You know who those Christians remind me of? And I don't mean this to be a slam. It's actually a compliment, because you know who those Christians remind me of? They remind me of John the Baptist. Now, he was a pretty spiritual guy, wasn't he? So it's kind of a compliment. But you say, well, why John the Baptist? Well, take a look at John. John's sitting in prison. He's rotting. He's about to have his head chopped off. Nationalism in Israel is not going the way he expected it to. He's expecting the Messiah to come. He's expecting Jesus to change everything. And it says, when John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sends messengers out to Jesus. And he says, are you really the one? Are you really the Messiah? Are you really bringing the kingdom? Or should we look for somebody else? Now, I'd ask you, why is John the Baptist so full of doubt suddenly? Well, I'll tell you, it's either because he didn't understand or he forgot God's kingdom doesn't work the way you expect it to. Listen, when Alexander's kingdom moves forward, 
It moves differently than how the kingdom of God moves forward. Do you know, guys, I'll just say it to you this way. For years, I've had people say things like, as a pastor, I hear things like, you know, if he's the king, why do I still hurt? If he's the king, why is there so much evil around me? If he's the king, why is there so much pain? Why am I suffering? You hear people say things. You know, I've, I've heard this before, something like this. You know, if Jesus were real, why doesn't he just drop down in front of City Hall and, you know, just do a bunch of miracles in front of the cameras? Why didn't God just do that? Then there'd be no more doubts. <laughs> Teenagers say things like that sometimes. Why doesn't Jesus just do a miracle or something like, why can't God just make me beautiful? You know, teenager says. I looked at the teenager and said, well, he did in my case, but no, I'm just kidding. If he's really the king, why doesn't he just do that? So John's in prison and he's saying, why am I in prison if I'm the servant of a great king? And Jesus says to John and to you, John, you don't understand. My kingdom doesn't work the way you expect it to work. And friend, what do you do when God doesn't live up to your expectations? You see, the Bible says that the kingdom is a seed. It's, it's not a boulder. Now, by the way, just let me belabor the point and press it a little more. Do you know what's extraordinary about the seed? What's extraordinary about the seed is that the seed looks vulnerable and it looks weak. The seed is little, it's nothing. And you think about it because Jesus compares the seed to the Christian message. And it's a good comparison because I'm just going to tell you. To the world, the Christian message is pretty weak, it's pretty silly, it's pretty stupid. It's a crazy message. In fact, that's totally upside down. You realize the world laughs at it. People reject it right and left. And people wonder, you really think that that's going to change things? This message? Pastor, you're telling us just to pray and share the gospel and not take up arms and take action? That's going to change the world? I mean, it's totally counterintuitive. Who could make sense of it? Think about the things Jesus said. Let's explore a few of them. Ready? They're absolutely ridiculous. Here's something that he said. Let's read this one together. This is good. Everybody with me real loud. For whoever wants to save his life will, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Totally counterintuitive. What does that mean? I mean, even Christian authors today are writing books called Your Best Life Now. Go after your best life. Jesus is saying lose your life. What is that about? Totally counterintuitive. His followers are supposed to lose themselves, to find themselves. See, for Jesus, the way up is down and the way down is up. Or for example, this, he looks to his followers, talking about changing the world, and he says something totally counterintuitive. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to serve must be your slave. Well, that can't be. I want to bring change. I want to stand up against the man. I don't want to be a servant. I don't want to be a slave to become a humble servant. Totally counterintuitive. Or, or let me ask you this. How many of you would love to be wealthy? Nobody? I love your honesty. I would too. You and me. We'll get there together. Who here would like to have a little bit of money? Let's just make it more humble. Oh, everybody would like a little bit of money. Wink, wink. Okay, that sounds good. So Jesus tells us how to get there, right? What does he say? Jesus says, let's go to this next one. Jesus says here, 
if you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Jesus says the way to ultimately become rich is you need to start giving stuff away like crazy. Or I'll just explain this one. Do you realize that the Bible says if you really want to grow and be transformed into the likeness of Christ, if you really want to have wisdom, if you really want to have love, then you have to go through lots of suffering, you have to go through lots of pain, you have to learn dependence. Anybody want to sign up? Because that's what Jesus says. In fact, he looks at his followers and he says, I want you to know all men are going to hate you because of me. I mean, what an absolutely silly message. And that's going to change the world? Really? Jesus says, yes. Why? Listen to me. Because the kingdom of God comes by hearing a truth. And like a seed, it gently enters in. And while it doesn't seem to make a difference at all, eventually, organically, it'll change the entire landscape. Guys, dynamite can't change a landscape the way a seed can. So somebody says, so why doesn't the kingdom of God work the way it should work? In other words, what you're saying is, why doesn't the kingdom of God work like the kingdoms you're used to? And Jesus looks at you and says, it's because the kingdoms you're used to are going to pass away. But my kingdom will never pass away. But he says, my kingdom is through love, it's not force. And my kingdom comes from the inside out, it's not flashy, it's subtle. It's not immediate, it's progressive, but eventually this seed, this crazy, isn't this crazy? This crazy, uh, weak little thing will eventually cover the entire world. And friends, listen to me, it will wipe away all tears. It will take care of every single bit of evil. Therefore, what do you need to do? You need to hear it, and you need to rehear it, and you need to re-rehear it. And you need to re, re, rehear it. You need to understand it. You need to take it in. You need to study the word of God. Hold on to it. Take it into yourself. Guys, it will begin to change your life. That's why I love, by the way, that we advertise around here our Bible Institute. Because it's like, guys, you got to get into God's word. And study it, taught by our founding pastor, who, by the way, is the best Bible teacher here. He can make a high school dropout like me understand God's word. Isn't that incredible? But the kingdom of God comes through a hearing. Jesus says, take heed, in the King Jimmy version, take heed how you hear. So, the parable of the soil. Let's get back to it. You ready? The parable of the soil actually shows you some tests to tell you whether or not you've actually heard. And guys, I'm just going to say to you right now, it's a scary parable. And I don't want to shield you from it, but you should take it seriously. Because listen, when Alexander the Great came into town, everybody knew his kingdom was there, you know? You got your tax assessment immediately, right? Everybody knew But what Jesus Christ is saying, my kingdom is very easy to miss. My kingdom is easy to reject. You've got to listen. You've got to pay attention. And as a result, what Jesus is saying in this parable, now listen to me, he's saying for all of us here, there are those who think they're in the kingdom. There are those who receive the seed, but they are not in the kingdom. There are those who think that they've heard me, and they've not really heard me. 
And by the way, it's worth mentioning, Jesus does this in the Bible all the time. He's constantly checking people. He's constantly rejecting people saying, did you really hear me? I don't think so. Are you sure you heard me? I mean, for example, there's this great place in Luke 9 where a guy comes to Jesus and says, man, I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. Now, I'm going to tell you, the typical earthly leader, let me just ask you, what are you going to do if somebody comes up and says to you, man, I'm sold out for you, man. I want to be a part of your movement, man. I, I want to follow you wherever you go. What are you going to do? You're going to be like, well, you're just the kind of person I'm looking for. I mean, you're going to sign them right up. What does Jesus do? Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It's like, Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you being so rude? Why are you being so harsh? It's because Jesus was constantly saying to people that wanted to follow him, do you know what you're getting into? Do you know what it means to hear me? Are you really ready for my kingdom? Now, the principle of the sower here is to say, make sure you know what you're doing. Make sure you've heard. So let's go through them. We're going to do it fast. You ready? We're going to do it really fast. Let's look at how you know you've heard. Ready? And it's giving you some warnings or some tests. I'll give you three of them. How not to hear. First of all, number one, it says, beware of listening to his message with a hard heart. In other words, with your intellect only. Now, we talked about this last week. It says some seed fell along a path and the birds came and ate it up. In other words, it fell on hard ground and it never penetrated. In other words, this is seed that never gets on the inside. Now, what this means is, is that it is possible for you and I to be in contact with the Word of God regularly. It is possible to come to church. It is possible to hear the Christian creed, to read Christian books, but never let it get below the surface. Friends, listen to me. Here's the question. Here's the question I have for you. Have you ever come under the personal power of the truth? In other words, has there ever been a time where the word of God suddenly began to dawn on you, the message of the kingdom. And you begin to see things about yourself that you'd never seen before. Has there ever been a time when you were waking up and it's like you've been asleep and suddenly there was a truth you'd never seen before? You'd always known about it, you'd heard about it, but now it has your name on it. It's as though you're like, if you call somebody, you call your mom and say, Mom, you'll never guess what I've learned. I've been in church all my life. Have you ever been in church and suddenly you come upon a truth and it's like, I have never heard that before. Now, I've got news for you. You have heard it before. But you weren't awakened to it. It's like suddenly the Holy Spirit did something and it grabbed you. Have you ever had truth grab you by the throat? That's what I'm talking about. Because if you haven't, if you've never had that happen, where it, it sprang life within you, maybe you've been listening to the Word of God with a hard heart. Maybe all your life it's just been intellectual. By the way, some of the most incredible pastors started their ministry, not even believers, but just intellectual with the Word of God. Charles Wesley, John Wesley, some of the greatest revivalists. Man, they only became born again after they were pastors. Because it was all intellectual. Beware of listening with a hard heart. Number two, write this down. 
beware of listening with a shallow heart. See, because the second soil is, it's someone, it says, who hears the word, and at once they receive it with joy, but since they have no what? No root, they only last a short time. And when they spring up, they die. Now, guys, I'm just going to say to you right now, this is a particularly scary one because what it's saying is there are people in the church right now that will tell you, Jesus Christ has changed my life. There are people in the church right now that are saying, I'm excited about him. He, they do feel like he's opened their eyes, but watch out because they're only likened to shallow ground where there's no root. And when there's no root, the plants can't take the heat of the sun. They're excited about him but they can't take the heat. And as soon as trouble comes, as soon as suffering comes, friend, as soon as you begin to lose important things, you turn your back on God and you say, what use is Christianity? I've seen this happen over and over and over again. Somebody starts attending church for six months, they start attending for three months, suddenly they go through a challenging time. What use is Jesus Christ? If I can't have these things, they had an emotional experience, yes. It got below the surface, yes. But these people never really understood the word of the kingdom. And let me say it to you this way. When they became Christians, they thought they were entering Christ's kingdom, but really what was happening is they were trying to get Christ to enter their kingdom. There's a difference. They wanted a blesser, not a king. They wanted help. They wanted relief not salvation. For those people, for these people, Jesus is a service provider. And as long as you have your services provided and life is good, you will have joy. But as soon as your life is challenged, it fades away. Now guys, what does that show? It shows that the things that that person really worshipped were the things that they lost in the heat. Therefore, they've fallen away. See, their primary problem was they thought that they were a sufferer in need of a solution. Their real problem is they're a sinner in need of a savior, in need of a king. Now, what's the third group? Write this down. Beware of listening to the message of the kingdom with a divided heart. Write that down. With a divided heart. Now, <laughs> The thing that's scary about this third group is that I'm going to tell you, it is pretty easy to see that the first two groups are not really Christians. Now, it's easy to see that the last group are real Christians, but the trouble with this last group here I'm talking about is that it's kind of hard to tell. Why? Because they have roots. It's not that they're not rooted. And they do stick around, but here's what it says. Notice the scripture. It says, verse 7, other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up, and what did it do? Come on, what did it do? So it makes it hard for them to bear fruit. And they don't fall away, and they don't run away. But do you know who these people are? You know, can I just put it this way? Let's go back to the previous group, the second group. The second group are those who were controlled by the things of the world. And they do fall away because they may be religious, but they can't take the heat. But in this third group, these are people whose lives are actually committed to Christ, 
But Christ only shares control of their life with other things. There's a division. They worship God, they worship Christ, but also they worship things in their life. It's someone who, again, hears the word it says, but the worries of this life, come on, the worries of what? And the, of, choke the word, making it unfruitful. By the way, this is a spe- we are especially susceptible to this as Americans because we are the nelf- wealthiest nation in the world. You sit here and you say, no, 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 I'm poor. Oh, no, you're not. No, no, no. We are the wealthiest nation in the world. We should pay attention to this. What comfort does to a human soul. What gluttony does to a human soul. And people don't see themselves changing. They don't see real healing going on. They don't see the real power of God coursing through their lives. And as a result, these people that live divided, they walk in doubt. They walk in their flesh. They say they're a Christian, but they're totally given over to sin. They're always in struggle. They're always anxious. They're just like in this parable. Who are they? It's hard to tell. You know, this parable series, I almost did the parable of the wheat and the tares because there's a parable that says the kingdom of heaven will be like wheat and tares that grow up together. And the tares look just like the wheat, but it's hard to tell them apart. It's only upon real close inspection that you can see that looks like wheat, it looks like a Christian, but it's not really a Christian. Friends, listen to me. Some of you, you are committed to Christ you know your problem? If you're honest with yourself, you have a divided heart. And if you're ever going to be holy, and if you're ever going to be happy, you have to give him lordship of every area of your life. For example, some of you, you say, I'm committed to Jesus, but you're using your sexuality in a way that you know is wrong. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you're trapped You're a believer, but you're being choked because you have a divided heart and you're not willing to give it up. The lordship of your life is split. And guys, here's what's crazy. This group is so different than the other two groups. I want you to think about this. This is unbelievable because the first group, they're happy. They just think Christianity's a crock. Eh, they leave. Big deal. Christianity's not real. The, The second group... They have lots of joy. They have an emotional experience. And when Christ doesn't live up to their expectations, they're out of here, but they're still happy. But this third group, you're the most miserable. You're miserable because you have Christ in your heart. It is the real deal. You can't go back. You know it. But you also can't go forward. And you're stuck. You know what's ironic? You're the only group that is totally miserable with how things are. And God says, the only way you're going to get over that is if you surrender lordship and stop letting other things get in the way. You don't see changes happening in your life from year to year. You don't see yourself growing in unusual ways. You don't see anybody's life being changed through you. You know why? You're being choked. You're miserable. You know, one of the greatest preachers that ever lived was a guy by the name of Charles Spurgeon. Anybody ever hear of him? The Prince of Preachers. He had this great illustration. He used to say, if you're a real Christian, he says, you're on the boat of salvation. He says, you're going all the way up to heaven. 
He says, if you're a real Christian, you actually can't fall off the boat. But he says, you can fall on the boat and you can break all your bones and you can spend the whole trip in the infirmary. Now, why? Because you have a divided heart. Yeah, you're a Christian, but you live an absolutely miserable life. The journey stinks. I hope that's not you. I want you to know victory, joy. Psalm 86, it's a great psalm. Let's read it together. It says, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Now, let me wrap this up. What do you do? Number one, if you're here and you've got a hard heart, stop listening to God's word with a hard heart. Let it come in. Start trusting it. Let it begin to affect your life personally because until that happens, the seed of the kingdom is not going to get in there and you're not going to have the power of the kingdom working in your life. Second, make sure you don't have a shallow heart. Recognize the word of the kingdom. There is a king. He is the king of your life. You're not simply a person in need of help. Friend, you're a sinner. You're more of a sinner than you believe you are. You need to come to terms with that. But you are more loved than you can imagine if you would just receive him. You know what your main problem is? You're in rebellion against God. You call yourself a Christian, but you want to live your life independently. You pay lip service to Jesus. You might be moral. You might be decent. You might be religious, but you're still trying to keep your life from God. You're still doing it your way. What you need is forgiveness. You know, it's funny. Today's culture, I say you're a sinner. I say you need forgiveness. You know what people say to me sometimes privately? We've, we're, we're over coffee. They say, man, you sound so fundamentalist. You sound so conservative. And it sounds so negative to you. And I just want to say, if it sounds negative to you, it's because you don't have the seed of the Word of God getting down into your heart yet. Parents, can you identify with a child that does what you say, but they hate you for it? Anybody identify? Maybe hate is too strong, but you tell your kid to do something and you know they don't want to do it. Anybody been there? Isn't that aggravating? And your kid, it's like, you know you've got their will, but it's begrudgingly. Your kid will follow the letter of the law, but you know you don't have their heart. Some of you, that is exactly the way you treat God. Exactly. And until the gospel of the kingdom shows you what Christ has really done, until your heart begins to say, Jesus, I'm in love with you. Jesus, I recognize what you did, and I'm in love with you. You're my first love. I'm going to tell you this. It'll never really change you. Now, let me give you this final thing. Ready? Some of you here are unhappy. You're divided and you're unhappy. And it's because you're forgetting that you're the soil. And you're forgetting that he's the gardener. And you're going about your relationship with God totally wrong. Look, some of you, I'm going to ask you, do you have thorns in your life choking out Jesus? And you'd say, yeah, I admit it, I do. I say, you have stones in your life that are messing you up. And you say, yeah, that's true, I do. You admit it. You just don't know what to do about it. I've been there. I understand that. I am there. I have to constantly repent and come back and think about who I am in Christ. Listen to me. I want to say something to you. You're the soil. 
the soil's job is not to get the rocks out or pull the thorns out. No, that's the gardener's job. In fact, don't ever forget this. This is important. Write this down. This is a big deal. God's job is to remove thorns and stones. What's your job? Your job is simply to receive the seed. To go to God's word and say, God, change me. To go to the gardener. Say, oh God, I have thorns in my life. Please take them out. God, I have rocks in my life. Take them out. And you go back and you say, and you start reading the seed. And you start saying, God, begin to change me. You say, God, I will hear it. God, I will listen to it. God, I will reflect on it. I'll think about the implications of it. I'll apply it. If you do that, if you go to Jesus and you start saying, God, plant the seed in my heart. You know what he's going to say? God, take my thorns out. He's going to say, he's going to say, I thought you'd never ask. You know what he's going to say? He's going to say, don't you remember? I took thorns on my brow. He's going to say, I took rocks. He's going to say, they buried me under one. (laughs) I've taken those things and I've done it so that you could be free, so that you could walk in victory. Do you want to walk in victory? Let's pray. Father, I pray for my friends in the name of Jesus, just asking that you would restore them to a place of joy and victory, surrender to you. Would you help each man or woman here right now to receive your teaching, the seed of the Word of God? It's gentle, it's humble, it's vulnerable. But the power it has to change things, if we would just have a truth awakening. Lord, I don't have the ability to really reveal who you are. Only you can do that through your Holy Spirit. So we ask you to do it. And would you repeat this prayer after me? Just say, Jesus, I need to know you. Come into my life. Plant the seed of truth deeply within me that I would bear fruit and I would be the person you've called me to be in Jesus name and everyone said amen